you'll likely this week be removed from so many distractions, right? And so this week is a unique week in your life. As you guys have headed up onto this mountain, you guys have been able to kind of experience uh, freedom. Many of you guys, for the first time in a while due to COVID and due to different restrictions. And so I can't tell you how excited I am for you guys. And just and just hearing all the stories already from some of your counselors, it's been super encouraging for me to hear. Um, and so I am pumped on that. But hey, um, I just want to let you guys know that I love you guys, um, and I and I mean that. Um, and when I say things from stage, or when Sarah and I say things from stage, um, and when we communicate things that might be hard for you to understand, or maybe hard for you to accept, we really truly do it from a place of love. Why? Because the love of Christ compels us, right? We feel this burden to share the truth with you guys because we want you guys to know who Jesus is. We want you guys to know the God of the Bible because if we don't know the God of the Bible, then we don't know who God is. And ultimately, some of you guys might come to this chapel and start already asking the questions um, from Brian or from Sarah or from me. Why should I believe what you have to say? Why should I believe the Bible? Why should I be a Christian? Why should I do these things? And so my encouragement to you guys is to, to kind of hear what I'm saying in that, man, the Christian life, what we're teaching here at Hume Lake Christian Camps either rises or falls on whether or not this is true right here. Everything we believe, everything that we proclaim rises or falls on whether or not the Bible is actually true. And so some of you guys might even have the question, man, how can I even trust the Bible? And originally I was going to do my seminar on that topic, but ultimately what I want you guys to feel a freedom to do even after this seminar or maybe even during your cabin breakout times, like if you guys have those questions, ask me, ask your youth pastor, ask your counselor on why you should trust this thing right here. It's not just a thing. I shouldn't have called it that. It's the word of God, okay? Um, and so what I'm going to be talking about ultimately in my prayer is that these would not be my words. That as I speak up here on the stage, it wouldn't just be me speaking, but ultimately it'd be God speaking through me and for me. And that you guys would hear directly from the Lord himself as we dive into his scripture. And so uh, I pray that that happens this morning. And I pray that you guys would just be, um, it, it would change you. And so let me just pray for us. Um, and then we'll kind of just hop into kind of what we have for this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I pray and I thank you for the many lives and souls that are in this building right now. Lord, that you would speak to them, directly to them. God, that you would uh, enlighten their hearts to what you have to say. And Lord, I pray for those that don't know you, that they would come to know you um, and become children of who you are, children of you. And God, I just ask that you would speak um, to these students in a way that would challenge them, but also encourage them. God, that as we open your word today, um, that your word, we know that it never returns void. And so, God, we're thankful for that. And God, as we talk about transformation and the life of the believer and what it means to be a Christian, God, I pray that there would be no confusion, 
God, it's so clear, no confusion of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be saved. And so, Father, I pray for these students, God, that you would prepare their hearts to hear from your word this morning. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, why is truth so important today? We're going through this, this theme on truth, and we're going through the book of John. And oftentimes, um, when we go through a theme, we really want to pick a theme that pertains and relates to students' lives. And so we, just, we chose a couple years ago, or I wasn't actually a part of this, but Sarah and a, and a group of people chose to do their theme, their spiritual and scriptural theme on truth. Why? Well, because... We live in a world full of relative truth. You guys have been hearing it all week. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And the ultimate reality, guys, is that if that's continuing to happen, if we make up our own opinions and call that the truth, then truth ceases to exist. If we say, well, the Quran is true and the Book of Mormon is true and the Bible is true, then really none of them are true. Why? Because truth by nature is exclusive. And if you guys have that, have your, you know, your little notebooks, you guys can go ahead and write that down. Truth by nature is exclusive. It makes a claim to be the truth. It's not just something that you can say is true and attribute to it. It actually has to align with reality, like Brian was talking about a couple nights ago. And so, like I was saying, the word of God is true. The word of God is true. And in fact, it's true whether we like it or not. And oftentimes, sometimes people get offended and, and oftentimes people will kind of listen and hear a passage or hear a sermon being preached and they won't like what the Bible has to say. And ultimately what I want you guys to understand is that if anything I say offends you or if something that Brian says bothers you or challenges you, ultimately what I want you guys to know is that you might not have a problem with me. Maybe I'm coming off harsh or maybe Brian's coming off harsh, but you you likely don't have a problem with us. You have a problem with the word of God. And you have a problem with what God proclaims as true. And as believers, as Christians, we can't just pick and choose what we want to be true from the word of God. You guys write this down. The way you approach the Bible matters. And here's what I mean. There are so many different people will claim that there are so many different interpretations of the Bible. And oftentimes, the Bible sometimes is used, it, the Bible is used to support a worldview that actually isn't biblical. And here's what I mean. There are some sins in the Bible that are very clear that they're sins. However, people have taken scripture and used it in such a way that helps support their worldview rather than approaching scripture humbly as the authority. You see, it's so easy for us to actually twist what scripture is saying. It's easy for, it's easy for us to take a scripture out of context and, and make it mean whatever we want it to mean, when in reality it doesn't mean at all what we're saying it means. And so what I want you guys to understand is the way you approach the Bible matters. You could approach scripture and you could come up with any argument for your worldview that you want. Some of us in this room, we believe that 
some of us might believe that sex before marriage isn't a sin, right? And, and as a result, we, we take scriptures out of context and we say, well, this is actually not a sin because the Bible says this. And we're, we're twisting scripture to help support our own worldview. And I'm telling you, it's clear when people do that. It's the same thing with other sins such as homosexuality. And I know that this is going to challenge some people right now. And I know that you guys are hearing this and you might feel uncomfortable. But the truth is, is that throughout scripture, we recognize the truth of scripture for what it is. When we read it, in Romans 1, it talks about it. And homosexuality is a sin. And that there's no way around it. There's no way we can approach scripture to make it mean something else. And oftentimes people will try to do that. They'll try to take scriptures out of context. And then all of a sudden they'll try to make and form an argument that actually doesn't work. Why? Because the scriptures are interwoven. They're connected to each other. So when we just take a scripture out of context, we're ignoring the fact that throughout scripture it might be saying this over and over and over again. I want you guys to know that the way you approach the Bible matters. And ultimately, you might get offended. And there might be things that you don't agree with. And as a Christian, I'm going to explain to you kind of what it means to surrender your life to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit of God. And so, we'll talk about what this means in a second. Um, I want to start off by asking this question and is, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And oftentimes we kind of have a different idea of what it means to be a Christian. Some of us have been taught that being a Christian means that we are raised in a Christian household. We have Christian parents that have taught us the Bible and therefore we are a Christian. Or some of us believe that, man, I prayed a prayer one time and because I prayed that prayer, I am a Christian. And others of us might believe that we're Christians because we're good people, um, because we're moral, because we actually believe, um, we believe in moral virtues and values, and we have a Christian value system, and we were raised um, in a Christian community, and so therefore we have Christian morals. And I got to tell, and I got to be honest with you guys, none of that's true. It's as if saying, I mean, I'm a Christian because my Instagram bio says I'm a Christian, right? I mean, a lot of us put verses on our Instagram bio. I'm not saying I have one. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But sometimes we act as if putting a, Christ, putting a, a Bible verse on our bio all of a sudden makes us a Christian. And the truth is, is that that's not the case. Christianity is more than that. Being a Christian means you are a follower of Christ, and I'll dive into that in a second. It would be like saying this, Bass Pro Shops hat. Can, you, can I see your hat real quick? Can you bring your hat up here? What's your name, bro? Ben. Guys, give it up for Ben. So let's say, let's say I have no idea how to fish, right? And I, um, I don't have any idea how to fish. I'm from the city, whatever. If I was just to put on this Bass Pro Shops hat, and all of a sudden, well, shoot, I know how to fish. Cast the line, Richard. All of a sudden, I know how to fish, right? There's no way that that actually happens. 
right? If I put a Bass Pro Shops hat on, if anything, I actually don't know how to fish, right? Uh, if anything, I'm making TikToks all day, right? So ultimately, your label is not what defines you. Your label is not what, def what defines you. I could label myself a fisherman because I wear a Bass Pro Shops hat. Ultimately, do I know anything about fishing? No. I don't know anything about fishing. In fact, probably it probably shows that I don't know anything about fishing if I'm wearing a Bass Pro Shops hat. Sorry, I roasted you, bro. You probably know how to fish. Okay. <laughs> um, but ultimately, when we label ourselves as Christians... That's ultimately not, that's not what makes us a Christian. And so some of you guys on your, on your high school campuses might think that. And as you guys tell other people, yeah, I'm a Christian. Ultimately, it's so much deeper than that. I want you guys to open up to John 3. John 3. Open your Bibles. I'll give you guys some time to get there. We're going to be going through the story of Nicodemus. And as I thought about a story in the Bible that so clearly demonstrates what it means to be a Christian, I thought of this scripture because it is so deep. And oftentimes, this scripture has been used to speak to those that have grown up in the church, that have grown up around Christianity, yet have not actually made the decision themselves to follow Christ. Maybe you're in this room right now, and you've grown up in the church, and your parents are Christians, and your parents are pastor, and you've actually um, been around youth group. And however, in your own heart, you've recognized, man, I just don't feel any different. I don't know that I actually truly know the Lord. This passage is for you. And so here's what it says. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to keep going. Here it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So instantly we're introduced to a character named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And Nicodemus not only is a Pharisee, later on in this passage, Jesus says, you call yourself the teacher of Israel. So, G so Nicodemus not only is a Pharisee, but he is coined the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus is a big deal. Nicodemus isn't just a religious person. Nicodemus was charged with memorizing the Old Testament. And many people believe that people like the Pharisees, like Nicodemus, actually had the whole Old Testament memorized by heart. And so Nicodemus knew the word of God very, very well. Some of you guys in here maybe grew up in Awana, maybe did some Bible versing or Bible memorizing. Um, and so... You guys got to understand that Nicodemus, he knew the word of God. He was taught it from a young boy. And so as he grew up, he was memorizing and studying the scripture and studying to become a teacher of Israel. Nicodemus was a well-known person. If he's called the teacher of Israel, people knew who Nicodemus was. And Nicodemus is coming to Jesus to ask him a question. To ask him a question. And his question is, Jesus, you have done some amazing things. And in fact, you've done such amazing things. There's no way 
that you cannot be from God, or that you cannot not be from God. There's no way you've done miracle after miracle. And he says, man, you must be a teacher that comes from God. And it demonstrates a level of humility, right? Like Nicodemus isn't coming up and saying like, you know, getting jealous or saying something like, man, Jesus, you don't really know what you're talking about. He's actually, he's actually recognizing that Jesus is special, that Jesus has been set apart, that Jesus is different, right? And so some of you guys might also believe that as well. Yeah, there's something different about Jesus. Obviously, he's not just a prophet, but I, I can't put my finger on it. There's something G- different about Jesus when I hear the teachings of Jesus than when I hear the teachings of, of other people. And some of you guys might be even be asking yourself that question. And so Nicodemus, or Jesus responds to Nicodemus right after it. It says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus at this very moment actually doesn't answer Nicodemus's question, right? Nicodemus asks, we know that you are, we know that, or he doesn't even ask a question. He says, we know that you're a teacher that come from God for no one can do these, these signs unless you are from God. And in fact, Nicodemus in essence is asking, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus says and responds to him and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, no one is born again unless, or no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then Nicodemus responds to him and he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so and Nicodemus is perplexed by this. Remember, Nicodemus knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. And Jesus responds to him when he says, man, you must be a teacher that comes from God. Who are you? Jesus responds, you must be born again. You must be born again. And so Nicodemus is like, what are you saying, bro? Like, I don't know what you're saying. I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And it's, in fact, obviously not at all what Jesus is saying here. If you guys go on with me, and it says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus does something so cool here. What does Jesus do? He recites an Old Testament scripture to Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have, should have studied this. Nicodemus would have known the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus, knowing the Old Testament scriptures like the back of his hand, quotes in Old Testament scripture when it says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What verse in the Bible is, Nicod- or is Jesus quoting? He's quoting Ezekiel 36, 24. If you guys have your Bibles, open up to Ezekiel 36, 24. So Ezekiel 36, if you guys don't know where that is, it's right after the book of Isaiah, or Jeremiah. In Ezekiel, right here, he's actually prophesying about Jesus himself. Nicodemus is telling 
or Ezekiel is actually prophesying about the coming savior of the world. And he's prophesying about who Jesus is, this Messiah that is to come and to wash us clean of our sins. Here's what he says. It says in verse 25, chapter 36, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, water. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and or from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus in this very moment as he's approached by Nicodemus quotes an Old Testament scripture to Nicodemus and he's saying you must be born again. Nicodemus asks him, how is one born again? Well, Nicodem- and then Jesus responds by quoting this scripture to him. So what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to actually be Christian? To be a Christian means that you have been given a new heart. Being a Christian means that you have been given a new heart. And there's a, a couple things that this means. How does this affect our lives? What are the true marks of a Christian? What does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Here are some of the answers that you guys might be looking for. Being a born again means that you've been given a new heart. Your heart is where you hold your desires. Your heart is where you hold your desires. And so oftentimes as a Christian, you know, when you are born again, God gives you a new heart. What happens? Your desires change. God transforms the things you want. He transforms the things you want. You're striving towards the world. You're striving towards temptation. You love your sin. You love the sin that you do. Yet when you become a Christian, something changes something changes and it's subtle that God gives you a new heart. And all of a sudden, it doesn't mean you don't sin. It means all of a sudden you recognize your sin for what it is. You realize, man, I don't want to do this. In fact, one of the marks of a true Christian is that they want to be as far away from their sin as possible. And oftentimes, people who call themselves Christians, they celebrate And they celebrate the fact that they go and sin. They call themselves a Christian, yet their whole lives look entirely different from the faith that they profess. And I'm telling you right now, that's not what you find in Scripture. You are to be a new creation. God has given you a new heart, and therefore God has given you new desires. It doesn't mean you always are perfect in the way that you follow Christ, yet Your desires have changed to be towards God and towards his desires for you. And so as you guys understand that, recognize, man, ask yourself this question. Do I love my sin or do I hate my sin? Does my sin bother me? Does it challenge me? And I would say it, Even for those that don't know Christ, you might love your sin, you might continue to pursue it, yet you're miserable because of your sin. 
and every night you, you, you slip up, every night you, you slip up, you can't shake the feeling of guilt. And I want to let you know, come talk to me after. I'd love to pray for you and pray with you. But for those of us who are Christians, one of the marks of a true Christian is somebody who wants to distance themselves from as far away from their sin as possible. And so if you want to do those things, what will happen? You'll make, you'll make changes in your life to help separate you far from your sin as possible. What do I mean by that? If Instagram is a trap for you, and you seem, and, and, and in your heart and in your mind, you're like, man, I'm going to go on Instagram and I'm not going to fall into temptation. Yet you spend hours and hours scrolling. You're spending all this time scrolling. It's bound to happen. Temptation is bound to, to show his face. And, and at the end of the day, you end up falling into temptation. That happens over and over again. Well, if you're a believer, if you truly trust in the Father, why are we making a provision for the flesh? If you're continually, if you're continually falling into guilt and temptation and falling into temptation, why are we continuing to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and even have an Instagram or maybe even have an iPhone when we know in our hearts that we are far too weak to endure the temptation that it provides? And so the response of a transformed life is to say, hmm, I keep falling into this temptation. I keep falling into this sin. I've got to make steps to get rid of this sin in my life. I've got to make actual practical steps to help remove myself from as far away from my sin as possible. I know, I know the process. I know the process of, of having a good week when I was in high school and even in college, having a good week, good couple weeks, and then one bad day sends me on a, str- on a string of bad days to follow. And I don't want that for you guys. And I want to challenge you guys. As new creations, you are to separate yourself as far away from your sin as possible, not to entertain it, not to hold fire close to the chest. And the phone is a fire. Oftentimes, there's an awesome quote from A.W. Tozer. Um, A.W. Tozer is an awesome author, and one day I hope you guys get the opportunity to read him. He's so good. There's this quote, and he says, God grants you the freedom from sin, not the freedom to sin. God grants you the freedom from sin, not the freedom to sin. And so in your guys' lives, as you guys fight your sin, you got to recognize that when you are born again and you're forgiven from your sin, there's this gratitude that the believer has. This is also part of your transformation. When you become a new believer, when you are born again, there's this gratitude that you have. You recognize your sin before a holy God and you're like, man, I don't want anything to do with that. And I'm thankful for the forgiveness that I've received in Christ Jesus and forgiveness of his grace. And therefore, I'm going to remove myself from my sin because I know that my sin he hates. God does not just, he's not indifferent from your sin. He doesn't just forget about it. He actually does forget about it, but God does not He hates your sin. He hates sin in general. 
And so if we keep continuing to fall into these things that he hates, God has mercy and he has grace for us. Yet if we're just continuing to go in this direction, then you have to ask yourselves, man, am I truly transformed by the renewing of my mind? Am I truly transformed by God's grace? Or am I heading in a completely different direction than I should be heading? The Christian life is a direction, and that direction is towards Christ. And it's important for us as believers to do some self-evaluating. Man, is my, is my life headed towards Christ, or is it headed away from Christ? And when God, when Jesus himself says, you must be born again, what he's saying is your life before surrendering it to me looks way different than your life after. Doesn't mean you're perfect all of a sudden. Transformation continually takes place throughout your life. You'll continue to sin, yet as you strive towards Christ, he begins to transform you more and more. When you're born again, when you're transformed, when God grabs a hold of your heart, you recognize your sin and you, you say, man, I need Christ. I need him. What else happens? You begin to reorient your life around who Jesus is. You reorient. Hear what I'm saying? I'm not talking to you. I'm not telling you in order to be saved, you have to do the right things. It's very clear in the Bible that Jesus himself says you are saved by grace and grace alone. But it's what we do with that grace afterwards that truly reveal whether or not we actually were saved. It's what we do with it's what we do with the gift of grace afterwards that demonstrate whether or not we're grateful for what Christ has done for us. And so, as you begin to reorient your life, what are th- some things, even this week, for those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, those of you who are coming into this chapel and maybe having a lot of questions or maybe haven't fully given your life to Christ, what are some things as you begin to recognize, man, Jesus is the son of God. Even maybe this week, before tomorrow night, before tonight, you've maybe even given your life to Christ. Maybe in the last year, you've given your life to Christ. And it's time to reorient your life around the word of God. This means that your worldview changes. And kind of what I talked about earlier, I I know I started off on a really intense note, but it's true. What we believe matters. Because if we're Christians, God has not only changed our heart, but he's changed our minds. And it says in Romans 12 too, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does this mean? That your worldview changes as Christian. If you believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus is king. He's not just somebody who went to to come and die for your sins. He is your king. He is your Lord. Therefore, you live in light of the fact that Jesus died for you. Jesus gave his son for you, or God gave his son, one and only son for you, that you are forgiven. You are grateful for that reality. And therefore, you want to please him. You want to honor him. You want to live your life wholly for him. And you recognize that he is Lord of your life, that he is king. That Jesus is not only a savior, but he's king. And that changes your worldview. 
Because if the word of God, the very word of God claims that things, that this is sin, that this is sin, that this is sin, and that you need to strive to be holy, then what do we do as Christians? We strive to be holy and free from sin. What is the natural response for us to not look at the things, call sin what it is, yet still fall into it? And the same thing for the way that we view the world. Some of you guys believe things about the world that actually do not align with scripture. And I want so badly for you guys to understand when you become a Christian, your mind changes. You see the world differently. And I, and I promise you guys this. You have to understand the Christian life is the only life worth living. It's the only life worth living. And I don't know if we understand that. Some of us are not wanting to become Christians because we feel it's a narrow-minded worldview. Some of us don't want to be Christians because we feel that, man, it challenges our very worldview and it, it challenges what we believe to be right and wrong. And ultimately, guys, man, if the Bible's true, if Jesus is actually a son of God, then it doesn't matter how we feel about things. What matters is reality, and the fact that Jesus calls certain, or God calls certain things sin, whether we like it or not. And God wants us to be free from sin. And God wants us to experience his forgiveness. And God wants us to know him more and more. And I'll close with this. There should be evidence in your life that you're a new creation. There should be some tangible evidence that you have been transformed, that God has caused you to be born again. And some of you guys have been raised in a Christian home and it's kind of hard to see this because you've, you, you feel like you have surrendered your life to Christ, but then there's moments in your life, man, I don't know if people saw me right now, if I'd actually be deemed a Christian. And I felt that in my own heart and in my own life. And there's many times in my own life where I've questioned whether or not, man, am I truly in Christ? Am I truly a Christian? I want you guys to know something, though. The fact that you even asking that question is a good sign. The fact that you're even regarding that question is a good sign. The fact that you're evaluating yourself and saying, man, I, I don't seem to actually live in the way that I'm supposed to be living is a good sign that the Spirit lives within you and that he's challenging you to live a life worthy of the gospel. And so as believers, recognize, man, even the way that you think about yourself, man, am I truly living a Christian life? It's a good start, but listen, you're not able to just sit there and not change anything. You gotta grow. You gotta strive towards Christ and his word. You gotta spend time in it. I'll close with this. Ephesians 4.20 says this. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put 
put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. It takes action on your guys' behalf. Transformation isn't just something passive that happens. You have to understand that God enters your heart and begins to change things. And therefore, from that reality, you guys actually get to change things yourselves. You don't just, you don't just hang out, go to church, go to youth group, and then all, the, all of a sudden become perfect and holy. No, it's a daily process. You have to put to death the old self and put on the new self. You have to wake up every morning and remind yourself, I am made new in Christ. I am a new creation. Therefore, I will live out of that reality. Therefore, I'm gonna put away my phone for the rest of the day. I can't afford to be tempted. I'm far too weak in these moments. Therefore, I'm not gonna hang out with this friend group right now because I know if I do, then I'll be tempted and every time I give in to sin. Therefore, I will walk in the spirit and I will spend time in God's word in the morning so that whatever Satan has to throw at, throw at me today, I can look at it in the face and say, but I have the armor of God. I've put on the armor of God and I know his word and know his spirit lives within me. And I want that for every one of you guys. Know that I love you. And if you guys have any questions for me afterwards, go ahead and ask me. I'm gonna pray for us and you guys can head to your next seminar. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for the students in this room. God, even as I started this message, God, I pray that you would just Remind them, God, of, of the truth of who you are. God, that ultimately it matters what we believe about you. It matters. And not only what we believe about you, God, but how we feel towards you and how we act towards you. God, you have given us, for those of us who are born again, you have given us a new heart. And therefore, God, we desire who you are. We desire you. God, we worship you. God, when we sing these songs, God, it's no wonder why we love to worship your name and love to sing truths about who you are. Why? Because you've given us a new heart. Because you've redefined our identity and you've said you are now a child of me. So God, may we live like that. Maybe we approach your throne boldly as we pray to you. God, I pray that we would not forget to pray to you because you answer prayer. And specifically, God, I pray that these students, that you would ignite the passion and the need for them to pray for, for an increased understanding of what we are talking about today. God, I pray that you would challenge them, God, to spend time with you and recognize what it actually means to be a Christian, that it's a transformation more than more than a, a religion, God, even more than a relationship, God. It's a transformation because we can't have a relationship with you unless we're transformed. We love you, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.